Hi, I'm Matthew Clark, and you're listening to the Cinematography Podcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft, and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Cinematography Podcast. I'm real excited. Episode 38. <laughs> yes, we're creeping slowly to 40, even though we've recorded 900 episodes already. Uh, I, we're, we're soundly in middle age, though, at 38, I'd say. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're old enough to run for president. Okay. So, Ilya, <laughs> yeah. who is on the podcast today? The one, the only, Matt Clark. This is a fascinating interview, and it's one of the first ones I did after my basically uh, forced one-year hiatus uh, from uh, from having a bebe. Yeah, th- th- there goes that swear jar. You got to throw it. You got throw a buck in right now. You oh, mentioned you mentioned the baby. Here it is. Sound effect. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Mention the baby. But no, uh, uh, Matt Clark is uh, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, uh, fun I, interview. I, yeah. Very yeah. fun. Uh, very funny and engaging person. And uh, I think that given that he's mostly known for his comedy work, including the movie Late Night, which is in theaters right now. That's right. Uh, uh, I, I, I think people will find his background uh, a little surprising. Yeah, uh, that's that's fair. It's a good tease. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to go in any more detail. Don't. With without further ado, here we go. Matt Clark. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. All right, so I am here in Burbank, California with Matthew Clark. Thank you so much for coming out. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Um, so uh, I always start with the same question, and I, and I think given the kind of stuff that you tend to make, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear the answer. Uh, um, the, the question is, uh, when you're reading a script, uh, imagining the cinematography, whenever you get to that point, and we can even get to how you get to that point, right. are you imagining it? As a series of compositions, or are you imagining it like as lighting or a look? And, and and my theory kind of revolves around like some people come up through camera, some people come up through electric, uh, and often it's the electric people who are most excited about the composition and vice versa. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. uh, what is your inclination? Um, I think you know what the thing is when you're reading a script. It's a, first of all the script is gold, right? That's the, that's mm-hmm. where everything comes from. Uh, and then it takes the different influences from a director or from yourself and your past experiences to take you beyond beyond that into, into something where you can actually shoot it. And I think for me, it's really just sort of comes at a rush. I mean, it's just all at once. But I think that the it's more about the the feeling of the light and the look mm. that I, that comes to me first when I'm of things that I would like to see happen yeah, in the yeah. script, and then. Uh, and then from there, composition is yeah. I think probably the lighting, the look is first, and then the composition after that. But, which, but which to me, the look is actually composition as well because, yeah. like one of the things we're uh, working on now is William Eggleston is a big reference for it, and so very like you know a lot of supernatural lighting. Uh, Who is William Eggleston? On that? Uh, William Eggleston is a, a photographer from the like around the 50s, 60s, 70s, and he uh, did a lot. This one amazing book. We traveled in the South and shot all these just uh, just sort of really amazing stills and oh cool yeah beautiful beautiful stuff the most amazing picture on the front of one of his one of his books is uh 
is a tricycle, low angle tricycle, mm-hmm. just this sort of urban landscape behind it. Just a, he tells a story in a picture, you know, and that's what I think we, we want to do as, as cinematographers. So anyway, the idea of that is, is that there's also, he does a lot of center framing for stuff mm-hmm. uh, and then center framing with negative space. So there's like this feeling that you get from either, it's you either feel really empowered or really alone depending on where the person is. And I think that all those kind of things inform what you're doing. And actually it's hard for me when I'm doing a job in a, like with a certain tone to like turn that off and go see something else right away. And so it's, it's because you, I really try to zone in on what's going on in the, in my project. So Sometimes my wife can't stand it because I can't watch television like a normal person. So. <laughs> so. I mean, like, do you just get frustrated watching television? Or sometimes like, it depends. Yeah, sometimes or or like if I'm is shooting, it like, a, here's how I do that. Or, yeah, or, right. Well, sometimes yeah, but then other times it's like I can't go watch Game of Thrones after I'm doing like a freaking light comedy. It just doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work. I, I would think it would be cathartic. Or, get, or well, it is a little cathartic, and I also get a little jealous too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, so, uh, you know, before we even get into your background, I think that, um, you know, our, our listeners who, who are familiar with your work will know that your your work is mostly in comedy. Even, uh, you know, you've done some pretty high concept stuff, but, uh, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like 30 Rock was probably like that was, yeah. that's, that, yeah. that's the thing everyone's going to know you from. Right. You yeah. shot most of that show, right? Yes, yes. It was, uh, that was a great experience. That was amazing. It's funny because, you know, I went to film school, went to NYU. Um, brooding artist, you know. That's the next place we're gonna go. Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> okay, just take good, us good. right. Just take us good, right good, there. Good, good. So you know, brooding. I was uh-huh. like, I was like dramatic. I wanted uh-huh. to do dramatic stuff. When I and, and I went there to write and direct, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that's what I, I went there with the idea to do that. Um, I also wanted to be an actor first. I, this this whole thing about this whole streak in me. Always took pictures. That's what sort of got me going that way. And then uh, you know, to be this this. Uh, drama rama brooding artist and then mm-hmm. go shoot 30 rock was a big change but it was fun i mean i was having a blast with it so you were know, you, i like, mean like was 30 rock the pivot point you started i mean yeah like, basically it was i mean and it's you know with any i think with any artistic career as when you start making a choices uh when you start making your choices people see you as those things you can yeah. be you can be uh put in one area very quickly so i think um I was fortunate enough to get the job. Uh, my friend uh, Vanya Chernyal was the was the DP that started off there. Uh-huh. And then uh, when he left to go do something else, I was I got to bump up and and be the DP. And I'd only I really shot all dramas before that, a lot of dramas. I mean, I, had, I actually my when a couple of my student my own student films were comedies, but mm-hmm. you know, but most of my stuff was dr- dramatic before that. And um, yeah, so then I jumped into the, to that world, and it was uh, very freeing, very liberating. You know, uh, to just sort of feel that, uh, I don't know, it was just, those people brought their A-game every day. Oh, yeah. Know? I mean, your and cast and every, yeah, writers. Yeah, Tina Fey and yeah. Alec Baldwin, Robert Carlock writers, John Regie writer. I mean, they were all, they just had, they had it going on. And so I had to step up and I felt like I needed to, I had to bring my A-game every time. You know, I wasn't going to, any at any point, Alec Baldwin, could, those big mitts could come on your shoulder and say, Matt. I need to talk to you for a second. <laughs> you're like, oh God, what did I do? I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. <laughs> but no, he, he, they, they were great. And Tina was awesome. She's like one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And so it inspires you to do that, to work hard for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah, right, well, so we, we will get to 30 Rock. Okay, okay. I promise okay. you. But I, I want to go, go back mm-hmm. to when it first occurred to you because you, you know, you're saying you went to NYU and actually uh, we, we mentioned this off mic a second ago, but you were the gaffer Yes. On a short film called Fish Belly White, yes, and in I, I want to say it was 1996 <laughs> or 1997. I had yeah. I had my student thesis film 
at uh, the Florida Film Festival, and right. I thought I had a chance, but Fishbelly White won that. Oh year. no, Mikey, Mike yeah. beat you, man. It's all all, all good. It's all good. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, a, that's how it all goes. That's hilarious. Yeah, well, you know, it's like that's one of those things. It's a student film, right? And you're all yeah. you're all in it together. And uh, man, that was a crazy job. Actually, there was. So yeah, it was. Uh, Michael was, it, was that an NYU project? That was an NYU project. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and actually, Michael is now the chairman of the grad department at NYU. Oh wow! So the guy that won the Fishbelly White, one with Fishbelly White, is now the chairman. So, of it. so he stuck with it. So he that's stuck good. with it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, to know. and then yeah. Vanya Chernyal was the DP, and he's uh, still a good friend of mine, and I got for him for that part. And, yeah, yeah, and for his first few features out of school too. Sweet. Yeah. So, so you said NYU. You went to NYU. Mm-hmm. You were interested in acting and directing and writing at the time. Is that exactly really? Right. Is, is that what you went to NYU I for? Went, I went to grad school there, so I went as a writer director. Um, I went. Where, to, where'd you do undergrad? Uh, Marshall University. And was it for Huntington, West Virginia? Uh, no, okay. it was for, I took theater there, broadcasting, marketing, mm-hmm. you know, just your basic stuff. And had to, was there uh, a specific major though? Uh, uh yeah. Broadcasting. Was oh, major. okay. Yeah. I worked radio. I was a radio guy. Nice. I had my own mic and everything, you know, and like do the, I was a DJ in the morning. And Super fancy like afternoon. we are right now. Yeah, exactly. These cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice retro ribbon. <laughs> so yeah. So it was, a uh, um, yeah, so I did that. That's what I started off doing. I just and I did the theater program there and loved acting. And after my after my first year in uh, first year in college, I went home and uh, not even after my first year. After the first semester, I went home and told my dad. I said, "You know what? I'm I'm quitting. I'm going to move to L.A. I'm going to try and make it in movies." Oh, really? Yeah, I was serious. So, about what, it. what what was the spark of that? Like, what what brought that into your head? In the first uh, well, place? in in high school, I did. I never did the theater in high school. It was mm-hmm. always uh, I just wasn't interested in what they were. They always did musicals, mm-hmm. and I wasn't interested in musicals. So when I got to college, I auditioned for a few plays and got into these plays, and I didn't have to sing and stuff and dance and everything, you know, which is which is good. I don't. I just didn't like it. So then I caught the bug, I guess, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't. I'm spinning my wheels here. I don't need to. And I think any time you, I don't know, you're 18 and 19 years old, you got the whole world in front of you, and you're you want to explore things, and and so I was like, I'm quitting and going to moving to LA. I want to be in movies because I. Loved movies my entire life, you know. Like I snuck down at uh, late at night and would sit. We had a banister that went up beside uh, in our living room, and so I could sneak down and sit in the back of the stairwell and look at the television and watch television mm-hmm. over my dad's shoulder. <laughs> and you know, and every once in a while he would say, "Yeah, come down here. I know you're there. Come on." And we'd watch like High Plains Drifter oh, or John Wayne movies, you know. And, and what were the movies? Like when you were able to choose the movies, like what what kind of movies were you gravitating towards at that age? Oh, at that age, Indiana Jones and all of course, you know, of course all, that's, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Anything like that. I loved heist movies. I loved. Uh, uh, there was one movie that I probably shouldn't have been watching. It was uh, Sweet Smell of Success, but for some reason I thought that was the, that was like. Probably thirteen or fourteen. I thought that was the coolest movie ever. I don't I, know that I've seen that. It's it's really really good. Yeah, James Wong Howe shot it. It's freaking amazing. But I don't know why a thirteen year old liked it, but I did. That's <laughs> so fine. something you know, it was something about how insanely present it was in the moment of that kind of uh, world. They created this world there that was just like it was a uh, it's a uh, publicists. We all these New York publicists, Broadway publicists. Yeah, yeah. And um, Tony Curtis was in it, and then uh, Burt Lancaster. And they play rival, like Tony Curtis is a young guy trying to take over where... Sounds like catnip for most 14-year-olds. Yes. I don't know why I liked it, but it did. (laughs) It was very strange. Very strange. Anyway, so... I mean, uh, it it, it does kind of like connect to what you end up shooting later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was a a black and white. Just, you know, to me, black and white movies were like, you know, like all the Humphrey Bogart movies and 
The Big Sleep, all that kind of stuff. I love The Big Sleep. The Big Sleep was awesome. That all those kind of movies, Hitchcock movies, you know, black yeah. black and white to me said was saying it was part of history. It was part of what you know where we were, and and uh, I don't know. I just sort of that's what sort of excited me. But but also High Plains Drifter, uh, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. I mean, all those kind of old uh, Fort Apache. Yeah, those I mean, are fun. Those are just yeah, those are all all the kind of things. My dad loved those, so I would watch those with him. So but when yeah. you did, when you when you finished up uh, your so well actually what kept you in undergrad if you were going to quit oh well I well I kept so I told my dad I was going to quit right uh-huh. and I was going to move to LA he said okay that's fine you can do that but uh, I'm not paying for it uh-huh. I was like okay and he said you got to get a job when you have enough money to move you can move and I was like okay so I got a job working at a Maxell tape factory like making videotapes like literally. The boxes, the tape. Uh-huh. And when took, you opened the door, was there like wind that blew you Yeah, back? yeah, exactly. Same. I was sitting in a chair back. Nobody back ever with, made that joke nah, before. No, that's a new one. Um, <laughs> but but what was, it was, uh, so I, I went to work there and I stuck this big coil of ferric oxide on the, on the uh, machine, threaded it through all these uh, bumpers, and then pressed a button, and then that would take it in the the uh, videotape box. Would come sliding down the the um, chute and uh-huh. stick at the bottom of it, wind it in, and go down the assembly line, and just keep going and, and go into the other room, and someone would pack it up. So I did that job for about a month and almost two months, and I pressed that button like twenty seven thousand times a week or something like that. And at that <laughs> oh, point, man. I was like, uh, Dad, I'm going back to college. I think <laughs> 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 nothing against Maxell Tape Factory, but it was like. I realized quickly that if that was, if that was what was going to take to get me there, I needed. I, I figured I could learn something along the way, do a little, something a little different. So. It's a good thing you didn't get a more entertaining job. At yes, the time. Would, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> uh, I'd be hanging out in Culver City right now. <laughs> um, so you go back, you, you you go to undergrad, and then yeah. you decide to go to NYU uh, graduate school. Mm-hmm. You you decide to apply, which is like that's one of the hardest film schools probably to get into. Period. Yeah, I applied to a bunch of different places Mm -hmm. and um i made i did i was the first person at marshall to make a movie uh as their sort of senior thesis oh really yeah so that was i i made i made this uh how how, how long of a movie it's like 15 minutes Uh and um we didn't in our production broadcasting production class we made like commercials and things like that but this was like a actual narrative thing that i wrote um Looking back on it, I don't. Want, I'm glad no one's probably ever going to see it. But it was at that when's, time. When's the last time you watched it? Oh my god, it's probably been it's been years now, probably <laughs> ten years now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I. Oh, you watched so, it ten years ago? So yeah, that's somewhat yeah. Well, reasonable. I had to. My mom probably was one that showed it to me. So <laughs> she said, remember this? That's but no, uh, the uh, yeah. So that sort of it sort of helped me get really catch the bug for that part of the that part of yeah. the business and that part the idea of doing that. Um, and I started writing and took pictures constantly. You know, it was just that kind of thing. And I decided I really wanted to try for this. And so, um, yeah, I applied to, you know, all the big schools and er- er- tons of places. I got rejected yeah. the first time. And, at uh, NYU? At NYU. Yeah. And I got rejected, at, you know, most places. Um, and then I went back. I actually called the admissions office at NYU and got to talk to one of the guy, one of the professors there, Bob, Bill Riley. And I said, so what do I need to do? I didn't get in. What do I need to do? And uh, he said, well, he laid that out for me. He said, this is, what, this is what we felt was missing. And I was like, okay. So I went to work, and that's what I did. And I, went to, I worked at a commercial house in West Virginia, and I had access to a camera. And so every weekend I would go, I would make little things, just, just trying little things out. And what kind of camera? Was it film or uh, we had a, Well, they had an Aerie, uh, they had an Aerie S. 
Oh. A little 16 millimeter. Oh, yeah. And then we had like a, an Ikigami. Uh, and then we had um, a, another JVC recorder, video recorder. And it was just like whatever I could get my hands on, you know. And then I do like little still shots and like, and sort of do sort of almost like stop, an, stop motion animation, but not really. It was just like a, trying to tell a story with flip, flip slides and stuff. Oh, cool. But it was like just. Like La Jete kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the whole thing for me was always, a, I just really like to tell stories, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like that's, I mean, it sounds like. Sounds very simplistic, but that's what it is. I, I mean, that's wanted, where it starts. Though. Yeah, yeah. You want to you know, like listening to stories. I love sitting around a campfire. I love mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff. I mean, at, at night for my kids, I used to tell, uh, I used to make up a Raiders of the Lost Ark or Indiana Jones story almost every other night, just like talking to them, you know, until the point where they would they would play with their Legos and we play those little oh that's little sweet. Things. So you know, it's like that that telling a story is so crucial, and that's what you do. That's what I get to do with pictures now. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and try to elevate the story and elevate the actor and make it so that you know, so that so that a viewer has a feeling, you know, has some emotion attached to it, which is interesting. And this is probably going way off of what you want to talk about. It's but, all good, but uh, we can we can wander. Okay, okay, but that's that's the thing about comedy that scared the crap out of me when I first started was because I, you know, the impression of comedy is that you need to just put a bunch of front light on it and then let them go to town. Well, let's talk about that because I mean, to me, that is, that is the stereotype of comedy. Right. And also if I do say so, uh, um, like, uh, YouTube and as much as I love funny or die, like the early funny or die stuff was just like shot with available light, like not like no effort went into it. And, and even like, uh, we had, uh, on here a long time ago, Charles Pappert, uh, who shot key and peel. And he, uh -huh. and he even said that like, he consciously wanted to go against, that trend in comedy at the time and go for a more cinematic look, but right. it was kind of uh, counterintuitive. By the way, we have to mention Charles Pappard in every episode. In every episode, so, sorry that's, about is that. he a, he's a, he's he, a contributor? Troll, he trolls? Charles, hey, Charles, hey, Charles, if you're listening. They'll no. totally <laughs> troll us on, uh, on, on Facebook. No, but seriously. Uh, but but I, I do think that that, like, you know, like, what is it that, what is it that you bring to cinematography in comedy and do you, is there like pushback uh oh, yeah. from producers who are like look just just point a big light at it just <laughs> yeah. put a big soft source over yeah. there and move on with your life well the, i think early on for me it was it, well I, so i got i got christened with 30 rock and what a better yeah. way to start i mean my god you know you got these amazing actors that are just so how do you end up on 30 rock i mean like if you have I was an op i was operating you're operating on 30 rock yeah so, so i so um so i just done this movie with vera formiga called never forever which is mm -hmm. this really intense melodramatic two million dollar movie that you dp that i dp okay and i and i'm going for interviews for another movie for about the same budget and that's back when uh, the union really didn't get involved with that that's that uh low budget of film yeah they weren't, weren't quite there yet so i get i'm going to get another interview for this other thing and i get a call from vanya and he says matt i really need you and so i'm like okay vanya let's what are you talking about and so he's like so we talk we talked for a little bit about it, and uh, um, he was very kind to let me come and operate. And I was able to – I joined the union. I had joined mm -hmm. the union earlier as an operator. And so um, it was probably my th fifth project or something like that. I think it was fifth as an operator. But uh, my just to, I should back up first, actually. My first operating job was with Tim Orr, mm -hmm. who's one of my best friends. You know, he's a great guy. Uh, he and Vanya are my – I've known them forever, and they're, just, and they're my go-to pals. You know, Sweet. Him and, yeah. And uh, Michael McDonough is another guy, too, that's also a good friend. That, and so we, all of us were in New York at the same time. And so you sort of have this, like, soup. You work with the same people. You do all these other things. So you know what the other person's doing. They know what you're doing. And yeah. then, fortunately for me, Tim and Vanya needed an operator, and I needed the hours. 
so I could get my health insurance uh, for my yes. kids. <laughs> Very important. So, so it's a you know it's that's when commerce and art meet. And, yeah. And yeah. uh, I just lucked out getting to go to do Thirty Rock. So it was uh, the it was the best thing ever. So how long did you operate before you started shooting it? Uh, I was on for well, see, I came in episode ten of the first season, and I was DPing. Then we did the finished that season off, and then we went through the second season, which was a strike shortened season, writer mm-hmm. strike. So we only did 15 episodes. I did the last two episodes of that season because Vanya had to uh, go to a different job. Okay. Um, and then uh, they started looking for other DPs for the fall, and I said, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. And uh, Tina and Robert were very cool, and Alex stood behind me and was like, you know, let's let this guy do it. So That's amazing. So, yeah, it was great. It was very cool. Very cool. And uh, so coming off of like more brooding, uh, yeah. d- darker drama stuff, going to something like that, which is like very high paced kind of farce. Yeah. Um, absurdist. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absurdist comedy. Yeah. What's what's the shift that happens in your mind creatively in order to like, how do you I mean, obviously, you'd already been you'd already been operating. So you were used to their rhythm. Right. Yeah. But like, what, well, that that was the fortunate part is I got to step in and, and know what was and know the rhythm and mm-hmm. feel the feel the rhythm and knew what Tina wanted. And and knew what uh, Carlock wanted, and you know that Robert Carlock, he was the other uh, showrunner. Okay. On it. So anyway, that I, I sort of could feel what they wanted because I was doing. I would do tandem units uh, while I was operating, so we'd have a tandem unit every once in a while. So I'd go off and shoot something. With oh, them. okay. So I had to li- I had experience leading into it before I took over completely. But the thing that I had to I had to think about, and really it was sort of a, a negotiation with all of us because Vine and I were very are, were very similar in that regard. Like we wanted. To me, you know, especially with the, the way modern cinematography is going, um, people are really, they know what's going on. You can't just, I don't think you can just slap stuff up there anymore. Yeah. You know, it's really important. Uh, to, and for me, it's really important to ground what I'm doing in reality. So to overlight something or to, to flatten it out because you're, that's supposed to be the way funny is, just doesn't make sense anymore. But basically what I'm trying to say is that the is that if you ground something in reality, then I think it allows people space to feel something and laugh at something. Yeah. And there's no reason for us to dumb down television. People expect to see more stuff now. I mean, but, like, but you're starting that, like we're right in the middle of like kind of peak funny or die where, yeah, yeah, where right. I it feel was, like the, the YouTube vibe at the time in comedy that had right. bled into comedy was sort of like, I think it was sort of this, like, let's just keep it real and strip it down. Kind of a, kind yeah. of a thing. But that show is not a stripped down kept real show. It's a heightened. Yeah. yeah. Surreal show. Yeah. So, to me, that was the the important part was to to keep it as natural as I could, uh-huh. so that the surreal had somewhere to go. So you had you know you I think to for surreal to work you have to be somewhere where you expect normal things to happen, mm-hmm. and then the surreal can work on top of that. Like anytime you write something, I think you have to write with an with an aspect that that this this part could be real, and then you take a dive for the surreal. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that and the good thing about Thirty Rock was at the time I feel like they had such a broad base of people and fans that they could jump quickly to the surreal every episode you know you could go into just nuttiness almost right off the bat and my job was to like to be very simple and frank i just didn't want to step on the joke half the time yeah yeah. you know you don't you you don't want to step on the the the, what the scene is about and you but you want to i think we wanted to always bring it to a point photographically as well to where the joke stood out um i was gonna ask like Tell me the wrong way to do it. How would you step on a joke with camera? Uh, I think making, for example, making the lighting too specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're going for something like we had a show called Black Black Light Attack, 
and it was like Liz was having a, a in-office romance with one of the characters that was a, a played a robot, and uh-huh. he always had luminescent paint on him, and so but you can only see it if it was under blacklight, and so we do we do this whole scene where they come in and they they uh, Donaghy turns off the light and shows handprints all over her from the luminescent. <laughs> <laughs> from the light. So that lighting allowed for that joke, lighting allowed for that joke to happen, yeah. right? And so that's like a very lighting specific Very lighting joke. specific cue. That's yeah. what, so that's what I mean is yeah. if you stay broad but natural, mm-hmm. then it allows the actor's room to move for physical comedy, allows them to open up uh, in the scenes like in Donaghy's office, which I must have lit 180,000 times. But you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> but you like you like have these you know not to like a shaft of light here, while it's beautiful, is going to disrupt. When he walks around the corner, it's going to distract from what's going on over here. Yeah. And yeah. so you need to you learn how to like bring it together and take it back, and bring it. You know, you bring as much ammo as you can to something, and then you step back. Now, on a show like that, uh, how involved would the, were the directors? Or I mean, I guess maybe it was. It, it, I'm sure it depended. Oh, it completely how, depends. Uh, but yeah. how much? How involved were they in the coverage? Or how much? How often were you sort of saying like? Well, ordinarily we would do it like this, this, this. Yeah, yeah it, it depended on it. Really depended on what, uh, who the director was, yeah. their style, why they were hired. You know, they like there's certain times where you can tell when you know if you've been on a show for a couple of years, you can tell the director was hired to come in and break it, to break stuff up, to really? like make it different. And so then you know then it's like that's the, fascinating. Yeah. So because sometimes it gets a little stale and and uh, it's a really it's but like it, Lars von Trier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Does uh, does thirty rock? I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be crazy. Oh my god! Yeah, Werner Herzog. Yeah, comes in. I want to. I want to eat my shoe in front of the camera. No, um, but you know, it was like it, it was uh, it was interesting because everybody was different, and there would be times where I would get a director that would come in and say, "Okay, what would you do here?" Okay, that sounds good. And then we go to the next scene. What would you do here? Okay, that sounds good. And it was like basically, and then you know, the actors also know. You know well, what's going on too. I, d- so. I guess I just wonder because that show's got a lot of there's a lot of physicality to it, and I think mm-hmm. I think that a lot of your work has has this a lot of the the comedy work you've done. It's like very physical people. So I, I guess I'm imagining the process, but you could tell me. Uh, it, well, it, actually, I'm not going to imagine the process. How how would you decide on that? Would, would it be figured out before you went to shoot it, or would you like work it out with the actors? I think first when I first started, I think everybody. I would think that most people do this, but when yeah. I first started, I really tried to plan a, uh, like every little detail as much as I could, not just for Thirty Rock, but for everything. Yeah, and I think after a while, with just experience and figuring out how things work, and and going like learning the craft of acting and and watching it for so many years on that show, it's like you know you you sort of can vibe with the actors and yeah. feel what's going to happen or, or well, feel where they want and let them take it where they want to take it. I mean, that's because that show seems like it's kind of a dance with the performances. Oh, completely. And the thing is, too, is, you know, is you also have to be uh, uh, mindful of um, how, you know, how much time you're going to take. Yeah. So on a job like that where you're shooting, you know, you sh- we, sh- we would shoot 40 pages for a half hour show, which is on, mm-hmm. on network television is 21 minutes. Yeah. So we would shoot almost double what we needed because you never know where the jokes are going to go. And we'd have an A storyline, a B storyline, a C storyline. And, and it was, that's it moved so fast, and that's one of the reasons. How many of those forty pages would end up in the final episode? There, well, I guess it would be because it was so rapid, rapid fire. You know, it could be probably I would say thirty at the most. Really? Yeah, maybe twenty five, something like that. But the but you know it was always like there, when you cut to a no scene, you like you do, you did those swish pans to flashbacks. Yeah. So you swish pan over to something. That's a whole other scene that I have to light and we have to we have to shoot and we have to do a thing for and. You know, so it's not it's it's not just a 
usually it was one shot or two shots, but but it's still you have to light the scene. So we yeah. had, you know, we'd have like twenty sets. You know, <laughs> it was crazy. When we did our live show in, on the SNL stage, we did twenty. I think it was twenty two scenes on the, on that stage, and they normally do for an hour and a half show. They normally do something like twelve. Yeah. So it was like that. Just shows you how how many d- how many days would it take to shoot one of those episodes. It would be five. We shoot in five days uh, with a tandem. Usually, like so, it'd be five and a half days, something like that. So it's like eight pages a day. That's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. it was. Even it considering was, that it's like a lot of snappy yeah. dialogue. Yeah, and then, you know that's what I, you know. You have to be able to make your days, and, and yeah. so people can like live. You know, and so <laughs> you go, you really. And th- we had some long days on that, but not. It wasn't too crazy. But they were. But you know, if you if an actor wants to walk to from the right side of the stage to the left side of the stage, you have to light that. Or, you know, especially around a stage, you know, if you're in natural, if you're in the in a location, sometimes you get lucky with some beautiful ambient light that com- is coming in or whatever. So those are choices you have to be able to talk to the director about. Say, okay, we do it. If he goes over there, we do a turnaround. We owe his coverage here and her coverage there. Yeah. And now we're going to change the line to the other side of the line, the 180 line. We're going to go to the other side of the line now. And so I owe coverage there and there for a television show. They, because of the way they cut, the way they like to cut is just on the, they would just like snap, snap, snap. So they really cut those close ups and they really cut that. So they always wanted that. Yeah. I think when you do a more dramatic thing or more, even something that's a little more easygoing pace, you can allow for the crossing lines and all this kind of stuff. And because I, I feel like, you know, as long as it st- serves a story, tells a story, you know, it's very yeah, natural yeah. and very open. I think, uh, but to me, that's, o- that's always one of those things where you're blocking a scene and an actor want like has an impulse to walk like three feet to the left. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> it makes sense, yeah, but yeah. also there goes well, an hour. You try, yeah, you try. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing is, is is it worth it? Does it yeah. is it worth it to you? Well, also, you're director? working with such with such powerful people on a yeah. show like that. Like, I mean, I guess it's not your job to say to Alec Baldwin or Tracy no. Morgan or b- whatever. No. But but you you're the one who has to give the director the news. Like, yeah. okay, well, if Alec Baldwin wants to walk over there, then we're just gonna have to yeah. light over there. Yeah, and and sometimes you know the relationship you develop with an actor that likes you, respects you, and you respect them is sometimes he would say, if I go here, is that going to be bad? And I, and I would say, well, what is what do you mean by bad? Yeah. <laughs> so I never want, I, yeah. I don't think it's my job as a DP to tell an actor where to go. Um, but I can, I can give, if someone that I've been working with for a while asks me, I can say it's going to, it will have 20 more minutes. And yeah. you know, if you, if that's important to you, I can do it. If and that not, shit adds up after. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's just the reality of it. I mean, that's not the artistic side of it. That's the, nuts and bolts of it so yeah but I, f- I feel like it's something that that yeah. feeds into it and yeah, i feel definitely. like you know it's uh, responsibility you know you gotta be responsible at a certain point yeah you know and everybody have everybody that works with you has a life and you you know there's there's a certain <laughs> point where you need especially on a television show that's that's been running for a while and you know what's going on with it you don't want to get too too um bored with it but at the same time you have to know that there, there's a certain pattern that has to happen in order for you to get the days done and do your job and so, so Thirty Rock kind of changes the trajectory of your career. Completely though. changed it. Yeah. So what, I got calls for comedies after that. All and all how, how do you feel about, or how did you feel about that? I guess you know what I. I it only wrapped I, up kind of recently, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't know. I did the, I did seasons. I was the DP on two episodes on season two, and then seasons three, four, and five. I did. Yeah. And then from there, I came. Lauren Michaels was starting to show here in LA, and so I did, I did the uh, Up All Night, the first few episodes, ten episodes of Up All Night. Mm-hmm. And um, then went on and started making some movies and other things and going back and forth between television and movies. But it's primarily it comedy. Com- it was yeah. always comedy. And, yeah. I, and I think for me, I, you know, listen, I'm getting to pr- practice my craft, to do what I do, what I grew up wanting to do. And 
Um, I think because it would be different had it happened, had that trajectory happened 20 years before, um, I don't think I could be doing what I'm doing now. And mm-hmm. because of the sort of the way this naturalism sort of did really grab a hold in television and, and in movies for comedy that no longer, we can shoot a comedy with anamorphics and anamorphic lenses and with low light levels and catch as catch can and, and it's still funny. And people understand yeah. it's still funny. And that, I think with me saying stuff like don't step on the joke, I think for a comedy like 30 Rock, which is based on jokes, is you need to be atten- you need to pay attention to that. Like, and, but for a comedy that's like a more sort of experiential comedy where you like a lot of like uh, awkward pauses and sitting back, sort of um, like Fleabag. Okay. Fleabag, for example, is one of those comedies where – well, now, they, now she talks to the lens a lot, and so that's a little different. But, but there's those moments of just – Pregnant pauses that are just, just yeah. right there, and in order for that to happen, you I just don't think you can have something just as pasted light on it. It has to be in a position where it's natural and you can uh, an audience can grab a hold of it and have something to think about. And you know they shoot that show I think on anamorphics and I think it's two three five aspect ratio. And I'm doing this pilot right now with Lee Daniels. It's a uh, um, it's we're doing a two two one aspect ratio and we're shooting on these old awesome old Panavision ultra speed lenses and it's, and it's very super naturalistic and super experiential and a lot of awkwardness and still comedy though it's still comedy yeah still comedy but it's a very different look than 30 mm-hmm. rock and you know 30 rocks a very uh it, you you said you i think you said it was really just like this heightened kind of thing yeah it's, it's farce yeah you it's know farce. to me to me it's like it's got a real pace yeah. and a real zip to it yeah and i yeah and you know i've did this uh other comedy it's a horror comedy called little evil which mm-hmm. was uh the director Eli Craig was uh That's like uh, the omen kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a take a comic take on the omen. Yeah. Child, devil child and so forth. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff with the, you know, um twisted cameras and push ins and he made another movie called Tucker and Dale. Mm-hmm. Oh, he made Tucker he and made Dale Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah, I love that movie. Freaking great. Yeah. It's a great movie. And that was, so that was his second uh Lily was his second movie and I, I loved working on that movie because I was able to do a horror film. And it, but it was comedy, so I could go dark. I mean, I, was, I could, I went dark in that movie. And so it was great. I mean, and I always have a theory about horror comedy, yeah, uh, because that's just something I obsess about. Yeah, but like, <laughs> uh, but like in the horror comedy world, so how do you, how do you approach it though? Are you basically shooting it like it's a horror movie and just letting the funny stuff happen within the within the yeah. confines of the horror movie? I, yeah, yeah, basically. Well, I mean, because I think that the the idea for with that is you have a genre, right? And people know a genre. And I think you if you can if you give them if you give them that genre and, and it feels right and you're it's a, it's a lot of it's homage to different things also when you're doing the horror comedy. You, know, yeah. you have homage to different scenes. Well and that one is like kinda of, it's again like the, like, it's the, the omen. omen. So so yeah. there's like a specific a so one there's specific. knives that are de- knives of destiny and yeah. there's this <laughs> like crazy yeah, it's just really it's it's super fun. But we you know we I think I went as dark as I possibly could every scene, and we went with crazy lighting and effects and all this other stuff. And then if it felt like it was like something wasn't it was being buried, I could bring stuff out, but but never in a flat kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. When here, you say flat, you mean like yeah, just frontal, like frontal just kinda... kind of stuff. It was more, you know, it was like it was like, once again very naturalistic. Did you find yourself like looking at a at like the tropes of horror lighting oh, yeah. and saying I'm going to take it to a ridiculous extreme? Yeah, or were so you, like the Conjuring, you know, we watched yeah. the Conjuring, which is also freaking amazing. Love it, yeah. And uh, both the, both Conjuring one and two we looked at were reference. The Omen was a reference. Did you watch the remake of the Omen, the two thousand six one? Do that. No, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
I think The Conjuring was really the, the biggest the biggest influence because I feel like those two movies had such a uh, artistic palette as well. It yeah. wasn't just it wasn't just a horror film. It was it was there was a lot more to it. I thought. And well, I almost think that those kinds of James Wan movies too are sort of like Thirty Rock is like a T-shirt cannon of jokes coming at yeah. you. Yeah, he, he does the same thing with jump scares. Yeah, like no, you're just, right. Boom, you're boom, right. boom. Yeah. So well, and also I often feel like comedy and horror kind of two sides of the same coin they both rely on surprise yeah but there's also the the issue with horror comedy and the reason i think it's hard to get it right is that if you go too horrific it becomes morbid and it kills the funny if you go too funny then it then it loses stakes and there's no you don't get right tense right no i agree so how did how did you modulate those two those two controls just i think it was just taste it's just like you get on set and you you were looking at something and if it's not if it's not working you got to figure out how to Mm -hmm. make it work you know I worked as a uh, uh, DP at the Sundance Labs for a couple of years for mm-hmm. the Directors Labs, and what they do at the Directors Labs, they they match you up with two directors, and you shoot their uh, the heart some of their hardest scenes in their their movie, their, yeah. their film, their script, and so they workshop it with with actors come in uh, from LA and New York and wherever, and you know so you have actors, experienced actors working with an inexperienced director and a semi experienced DP and, and a crew semi. semi with a crew that comes up and then you have like uh, all these am- amazing mentors that come in like you know Redford's there uh, mm-hmm. for the DPs there was Elswitz Dr- Stuart Dryberg Vilmos came in so you know and um, I, you're sitting there with those people and, and for me it was amazing because we got to watch movies with them their movies with mm-hmm. them and oh, find wow. out that, yeah it was awesome one of the one of the most amazing moments of my career was doing the scene with this in this little cabin up in Sundance, and it was a, a scene in a bedroom. Two a couple waking up, and they have this. They're getting ready to have a fight, and it was trying to show them having getting that tension without without having a uh, um, without yelling at each other, you know, mm-hmm. like building of tension. And so that's what the director and I were working with. So I wanted it to be the opposite of that kind of light. I wanted it to be beautiful simple like morning light that you know like you know outside da, 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 you know that kind of thing <laughs> so so that you wouldn't and so the opposite of what the scene was right and so i start lighting i'm doing all this stuff and i'm and bill Mosh walks in and i'm like oh my god there's bill Mosh. and uh yeah and walks I, in I shit my pants yeah That's he's insane. an amazing guy man god that guy's so cool um but anyway he, he comes and he sits down and i'm like lighting and then i think okay i've got two more things to do i take out this one light make a little spike here and then do, do something else and throw it on the back wall and then take the back wall off and put it through the window and, you know, all these little things. And then I, f- I get it right to what I think is the thing. And I say, okay, Bill Mosh, what do you think? He goes, Matthew, you were done two lights ago. And, you know, to <laughs> me, that said everything. And so that's the thing is like you, I think you can overdo it. And I don't – I try not to overdo it. And so to your point of the horror thing, I think you've, you've, you push to that moment and you push hard. And then yeah. if it's not working, you got to take that light away or take that thing. You know, it's like there's no reason not to, to to push hard and then not to be able to pull back a little bit. And I think that's a to me, that's what has helped me go on through this this whole, you know, life of cinematography. Because, you know, if you just if you I think you can get caught up in the whole idea of like having to be better, having to be better, having to be better. And it, I think it's more about just relaxing and telling the story. You know, it really is. So if you could give uh, your younger self the advice of how, how to how to approach that when, you know, from earlier when you would over prepare, like, how, I mean, is, is it something that only comes with experience or like how would you advise someone to to let go and, 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 yeah. and, and do what you're saying? Well, I think you I think 
until you I think it does come with experience I really do but I think there are certain people that are that are just brilliant in that way that mm -hmm. very early on they can do that kind of stuff which is but I think you have to be in one thing you need is to be in tune with the director in tune with the script in tune with the actors so that when you walk in a room and you're planned for having the camera at the end of the table and doing a push move over dolly over the table to the other actor at the other end you have all the equipment ready for that because you've scouted it and everything you know what you want to do if you walk in there on the day and that doesn't work and you have to be able to say, oh, we'll take that off the table. We're not going to do that. We'll be over here. And and I think allowing the actors, it's another, Xander Berkeley, uh, actor I did this movie with, I don't even know, the, it was uh, it was in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. He had he said at the rap party, I was all excited. It was probably like my third feature or whatever. We shot on the Vericam the, the, when it first came out. Ah, yes. And, uh, 720p. 720p, yeah. So anyway, he it was called The Land at the time. And I think it changed the name like five times or something. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the rap party, he said, he said, you guys missed half the movie. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, you missed half the movie. You didn't, we were doing stuff and you just missed it. And I was like, oh, well, what do you mean by that? And, you know, I think he was probably, he was, I don't know what, I don't believe we missed half the movie. But I do, I do <laughs> get, I do get his point uh, that we didn't really, as director and a DP is, we didn't really see what was going on in front of us as much as we had planned what was going to happen. Yeah. And so I think it's important because it's a collaborative medium to, to take all that in. And, you know, you still have to have the, the cojones to say, no, I'm right and you're wrong. But, you know, that's, that, all, that comes with experience. That comes with your dedication and, and if you're in tune with your script, I think. So, well, let, let's talk a little bit about, about just your process about, uh, like, when you read a script. Uh, and you know, kind of, this goes a little bit back to my first question, right. but it's like, as you how do you read a script and how do you start to think about like taking this pile of words and turning it into, yeah. into beautiful or appropriate, interesting, whatever pictures you need for the, for that right. particular movie or TV show. And then, and then the next step, obviously we don't get too technical, but like how, you know, translating that to, well, I'm going to need this kind of truck and that kind of, uh, crap, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, you know what it, uh, to me, it, um, you know, I'll sit and I'll read the script once just read it and not think about anything just just read it and if i'm if i am i've been i'm fortunate enough to be at the position where if i at that point if i don't like jive with it i can say i just you know say oh, thanks but no thanks yeah yeah and but i wasn't always like that it was like i got a script i'm going to read this script yeah, <laughs> yeah. no matter i'm going to do this movie no matter what but now i think you know it's like I, I read it once through just to get the gist of it yeah. and just to see how i feel about it at the end of it and then i'll read it through again before i meet with the director or the producers or whatever meeting we have and try and like have a mental image of, of the flow of the film, like mm. whether it starts, you know, starts fast, slow, fast, slow, like um, light, dark, like very simple terms. You know, I, just, yeah. I try to think as broad as possible in the beginning. And then the, then usually somewhere along the way, there's like two or three key scenes, right? Two or three book, in, like just stuff that you can like uh, set pieces, things that you can hang your hat on, yeah, those kind yeah. of things that you know that that this right here is an important moment and this is where what I see for this, right? I think it's important when you go in to talk to folks, you have to be open to their, it's obviously the director is, it's his vision or her vision um, and you need to go in there with the idea that you're there to help that vision. Yeah. Um, I definitely have ideas about what I'd want it to be like, but I'm not the director, so I've got to figure out how to, so what my job is, is I go in and I say, you know, this is what I, this is what I see. I usually, you know, I, I really want them to speak first because I want to know what they want. Um, but I do have an idea of, of images that, I, that uh, thrilled me when I, when I read it or ideas for shots. And what it, you, did you think about this for this scene? You know, um, we were talking earlier about William Eggleston and 
yeah. you know, the central central framing that he has and how does that affect your actor and what does that do for the scene? Is that something that interests you? You know, those are the kind of things. But usually it starts very broad and it's and also music. Actually, that's another thing. Yeah, music. Because to me, music is universal and personal, right? It's both of those things because you can, everybody can feel a beat. Well, most everybody can feel a beat. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, that beat affects you differently, right? Yeah. So if I can, sometimes I'll get a, piece of music in my head about while I'm reading something and and that also informs the feeling of it like is it a swirling camera is it like something where you just do this constant dance a rotation and uh, is it handheld and like really slap you yeah. just go back and forth is it like Lars von Trier where it's just you find it and it's just there you know what is the what is the key there you know Am I am I U two or Cage the Elephant? You know, am I? <laughs> you know, where am I right now? Do you go in and talk to the director about like the music yeah. that you think about? Yeah, like uh, yeah, like one. It was one thing I read, uh, and I was thinking Iron and Wine the whole time, and I'm going, I cannot. This person will not know what who Iron and Wine is. <laughs> so I actually came in with like a little, little beat, a little music. Uh, oh, on my really? Phone. Yeah, and just said, you know, when you're thinking about the scene, what do you think? You know, this is the kind of feel of it. And That's so, an interesting way to approach it, yeah. and I had forgot, I'd completely forgotten about this. But the first DP I ever worked with in my life said that to me. Uh, this is like in Orlando in like 1991. Oh, yeah. He, he said like, bring me some music that reminds you of what the film, what you want it to feel like. And and it's it's a great way to do yeah. it because it, it's completely like it's not stepping on anyone's visual right. toes at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And it's so it's I think it's just integral. Like, did you see Cold, Cold War? Cold, I did not. Cold War? Oh, my God. I have a one year old baby, so I don't yeah. see anything. <laughs> I see nothing. Dude, you got Amazon, right? I do have Amazon. Okay. <laughs> I've been I've been trying to watch the Suspiria remake for the last oh, two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, there's yeah. Well, Cold War is one of those perfect examples of like where music in, music integrated. It's about music too. So, that's, uh -huh. but it's so integrated into it that, and her voice is so haunting when she sings. And it just fits into the tone of it. Just so yeah. So I mean, I can see where you could you could come up with a whole lighting scheme for that. Like that, based on the clubs and the thing, it's like you know. It's but it's weird because you don't think of music as visual. But if somebody plays a yeah. certain piece of music that reminds really them of the film, that's really think it's like to me that and sense of smell are the two biggest remembrances that I have in my life. Huh. Like I remember, I remember sounds and smell. It sounds a lot <laughs> easier than like, hey, uh, come over, I'm gonna cook you a salmon yeah. dinner to make <laughs> yeah. the smell that'll remind so you. So does this smell remind you of your movie? <laughs> I don't think that's uh, yeah I'm not going to try that one I'm not going to try that one but the music thing I mean you yeah. could like make a Spotify playlist and say here's yeah, what yeah. I was thinking yeah yeah. I mean do you present that to directors or is it just something it's you, just, you it bring depends. up it really depends on what you know where the meeting's going sometimes it'll just be like I'll be talking and then we'll talk, start talking about music or talk, talking about something and I was like I was hearing this while I was reading this and oh it's such an interesting so, yeah. approach Yeah, nobody's so was, ever said that that is so brilliant <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, it's, it was, I don't know, it's very, like I said, it's a very personal thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think that like, if you, uh, you know, again, if you hear, if you hear a piece of music, like there's a certain visual that would go with, you know. Yeah. Well, don't you also, don't you think that when you, as, when you give someone a photograph and you give someone, uh, or, or film even more, you give someone a photograph or a film, then, then that is the expectation, right? That is exactly. the expectation. Exactly. So the color palette. I exactly. mean, like that's even something that they will tell you in like theater school, which is like find an image and then just use the colors and the textures and the right. lighting, like restrict right. your palette by yeah. finding that one thing. And so I think. But music wouldn't restrict your palette at no, all. No, and you start the conversation with that and then you restrict your palette. Yeah. You know, and, it, and you know, sometimes, sometimes that 
that music will expand your the world that the director hadn't seen before and then or they'll just hate it and they'll say no it's not that it's this yeah yeah and then you can dive deeper into a certain area you know so it's like i try to be as open as possible to everything around as far as like how to make the day flow how to make the show flow the movie i mean every the mm-hmm. filming the lighting you know you don't always succeed but you got to push yourself to try generally speaking it's i'm just really happy to be there because <laughs> yeah. i'm going to do i'm going to do stuff that i've always wanted to do you know it's like it's uh, i'm very fortunate to and then there are plenty of days where I just can't believe what's going on, and I just you know the sun is coming in out of clouds, and suddenly yeah. there's a rainstorm, and it's like got to shoot anyway, and you like know, a that conspiracy. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's you. like why, why? It's like I'm in Caddyshack, you know, with the whole other thing. <laughs> I was once <gasps> at, a, at a shoot at Vasquez Rocks, and it started raining. And, and Vasquez rocks and like no, once in a 10 years, nobody was prepared for what, <laughs> right. what to do when it rains. And they were backlighting yeah. with a xenon light and it was like a decoder ring uh, for the rain. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, ah, I guess we're just not going to shoot until this rain's gone. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, this isn't, this, I, I, I don't want to over ask questions about, uh, 30 rock. And this is really more of just a general question, but it's like when you're do, uh, doing a TV show versus mm-hmm. doing features, like when you're doing a feature, you have to tell one continuous story that that is finite and has a beginning and an end. Right. But something that's episodic and goes on and on and on, and in fact has different directors coming in. Uh, what what is different for you in that? And also, like in TV, how much are you kind of the keeper of the flame? Where it's like there's a way yeah. it has to look, and a new director who's never been on the show is there. And even if they're saying like no, even if they were as you said, someone who's brought in to break it. Uh, there's you, there's breaking it and then there's yeah ruining yeah. No, it. Ab- you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, as a DP on a series, once it's going, you are the keeper. Yeah, you know, like people come to you. Like the script supervisor has the Bible of all the all the what these people have done and won't do, and yeah. what a, what their character would be like. And and so there's there's that. The actors have the way they think of their character. They will tell a director, no, well, Jack Donaghy wouldn't do that, you know, or Liz Lemon would be over here, you know, that kind of thing. They would yeah. they say that because they would know. And a director would it does well to listen to that, you know, unless they have a good reason not to, which is always, you know, they. Well, and it's up. like you got Liz Lemon, so you have like, you know, the creator yeah. of the show and one exactly, of the showrunners right exactly. there, so. sitting there, and, and she's <laughs> typing the next script uh, for the next show <laughs> really? while she's on, in her chair, oh getting makeup done, God. looking at for last looks, looking at to see how the rehearsal's going, and is, is that really? I'm not kidding. That is, she worked so hard and she's so smart. It's just like it was. That's why I'm telling you, it was like I just don't know how you bifurcate your trifurcate your yeah. brain in that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and then she had her, and she had her baby there too. Sometimes, so it was like it was. She's a wonder, but wow. uh, but anyway, the yes, you are the keeper of the flame, as you said, I, and it is something that uh, you know I took very seriously, and and it was like you know this is what this is how we do things, this is what what it looks like, this is how we want to approach this, but I think that um, the one good thing about Thirty Rock was I had this great mentor uh, there, Don Scardino. He was also mm-hmm. he's a director. He was also he was a he was the producer director of the series, and so he would bring in all the directors and walk them around set and you know sort of introduce them to the areas and we talk. They we, I would usually have lunch with them and we'd all talk about what was what was coming up. And so Don said one thing. He said you know let, listen in television in comic television people want to sit down on their couch and put on their warm coat and they want to watch. And they want it to be the same coat when they put on their coat. They want it to be the same coat each time. So to me, that said that give us a look, give us a feel that will allow people to come back and sit down and say, oh, that's 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what Vanya and I worked towards was that kind of feeling of that so that it would be comfortable, 
but at point times we could like go off the deep end when we had our uh when when they had a flu shot episode where everybody got flu shots and turned into zombies you know we we could do some crazy stuff then but you know we always start off in that warm feeling um when we there was a funny story when we went to uh we went to uh nbc wanted us to change to hd we shot film mm-hmm. the whole time and so they wanted us to change to hd and so lauren and uh tina said let's okay so let's try it so we lined up all the cameras we shot sony and we shot the Gen- you know panagen genesis the sony f35 uh the the d20 and then we had our regular you know 5218 Mm-hmm. Um, stock and so we lit it all and they're like okay that's cool we'll, you know we'll we can do HD and so they go to the office and and then NBC wasn't going to give them the any of the money from the how much money they were going to save and so Lauren said okay we'll just keep shooting film then so we got to shoot film but we did an episode oh of, wow yeah but we did an episode about uh, about uh, someone uh, about changing the show to HD and we shot it in HD section. <laughs> and it was like, but it wasn't HD, it was in film. But it was like uh, Liz Lemon had like a mole with hairs coming out of it. And <laughs> and uh, um, Jack McBrayer looked like a, Kenneth looked like a Muppet. And, That's uh, so funny. Jack Donaghy looked like a bald eagle. So <laughs> Funny but hell. it was all. But that's all. You know, that's all because we gave them that. What my point of the story was like because we gave them the warm coat to begin and end with every day. We could like, we could mash it up in between and do some different stuff. So, so uh, I know our time is running a little short. So I wanted to talk a little bit about late night, which oh, yeah. obviously I haven't seen because it, it's just not out. it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out this weekend. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, how did that come about? And 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 uh, you know, how is that a culmination of like the work that you've done up until now? Well, I think it's. I think I, I don't. I don't think it's a culmination. Meaning, like, I it is a culmination in the sense of experience, because mm-hmm. I think um, it was it was a difficult shoot, but a good shoot. Um, and so, and it's funny because sometimes a comedy can be some of the hardest things you do because, like I said, I wanted I wanted to keep it very naturalistic and very approachable. When you're working with an actor who's like really good with comedy, but also like top flight dramatic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like one of the best living actors. It turns on a, can turn on a dime. Like she can like emotional change on camera like yeah. that. And you're just like hook, line and sinker. So like, you know, it's, I definitely want to bring my A game and I wanted to keep it natural. I want to keep, you know, part of my job is to make everybody look good as well on those, you yeah. know, especially in the, that kind of scenario. And so that's part of the deal. Well, and is, and, and isn't the, that like part of the DNA of comedy too? Like yeah. you kind of want to make everybody look like the, goodest yeah. most attractivest version of yeah themselves. exactly you're absolutely right yeah and then the uh you know so it, for me it's it's harder because i want to keep it natural i want to do all that stuff i sometimes i feel like it, when i'm doing some little drop dramatic things that i can just turn on one light and walk out the door yeah. you know it's <laughs> like it's like because it doesn't have to be specific you know and but one of the things we did on that was we because we sometimes we'd have three or four locations a day we were going all over the city it was a 25 day shoot we had you know very little money we went to uh, use the very we used the Vericam thirty five mm-hmm. so that we could shoot out exteriors at night at, at the five thousand ISO. Love that camera. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because you know it gives you a base. It changes the way you look at New York at night because you, it's oh it's overlit sometimes at night because with yeah. the five thousand ASA. So you you have to change you have to ma- manipulate that, but you have a good base. So we lost our generator. We didn't have a generator. We didn't have. I mean, it was like all low LEDs. You know, nice. it was like very small plug into the wall kind of stuff, put put generators. Biggest light was a 4K. And we, you know, I had great gaffer, Ken Shibata, and uh, Tommy Kirk Jr. was our key grip. We decided early on that's going to be our thing because we, you know, to get the mandates to do everything we needed to do if we would have been 
hauling around a generator and all that. We just didn't have the mandates, and it was yeah. gonna. We needed more time. I wanted more time for Nisha the, Ganatra, the director, to work, be able to work with the actors because Mindy's Mindy's great and Emma's great, and the two of them meeting together needs to be right. Yeah, and they need to be able. They're different kind of comedians, you know. Mindy's Mindy's a very quick, snappy, snappy, and. Uh, Emma's more like that British sort well, of again Emma's yeah. like she's like I don't know if she's actually Shakespearean but I assume she yeah, must yeah. be like she's like well she like, went to school with the, all the pythons did she really yeah yeah like they were in this they were yeah Emma Tom, she's yeah. but she's gotta be like 20 years younger no no, no I mean I mean, she went to the same school and so oh. they were all knew each other from that oh, from her school oh got it yeah got it. cause so, like all of her early work I remember was all like strictly s- drama yeah well no actually she was a comedian was she? Yeah, no joke. She was in England. She was in the, that was that's how she knew the Pythons because they were they had been in the comedy troupe that she was in formerly. Ah, and so they were all that's ran in that same world. Because yeah, she I only associate Minnie funny, Kaling man. with. I I mean I believe it. I Emma just is hilarious. Yeah, but I just also think you know she's oh yeah like you know in that Meryl Streep level oh, of of uh, just you know yeah. just the, the best of the best. Yeah, it, it yeah it was so you know the I think the thing for me was to try and. Give Nisha time with those people, mm-hmm. and so I needed to. I needed to once again. Like I, I seem to be saying this a lot, but but uh, you know, have a plan, go in with my plan, and then try to back off as much as possible to allow for that space, to allow for the comedy to happen. They did a lot of back and forth with each, with each other, mm-hmm. um, so we need to have room for that. Uh, we were up fifteen floors. I think it was fifteen floor in a, um, a skyscraper in New York. Couldn't put lights outside, so we did. Indies. Tommy cut all these indie uh, hard gels for one side for all the windows. So we'd have indie three, six, and nine for each window. Oh wow! And then um, I take that back. We didn't have any threes. We had sixes and nines. And then we would take uh, we'd put like at one end. Like we'd start with them all in, and then decide where I wanted the key light to come from, and we'd take those out. Oh, <laughs> so we were cool using idea. the natural light, you know. But yeah. you're still up, but you're keeping the light down on your background, so you can up your stop inside and. And uh, so we basically it was an. Exterior Did you shoot the whole the whole show on the Vericam thirty five? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the whole show. Because so. I mean, it's interesting because like obviously you have to yeah in in the comedy and the kind of thing you're doing you're trying to make people look good but you're working on a super high uh, ISO. Yeah. Did you? F- well, did now you when we shot the daytime stuff, we shot on the the um, native eight eight hundred. So, but yeah. still high. I, yeah. yeah. But I'm just wondering, like, did you encounter? I, we try not to get too techy here, but did you encounter like any grain or did you have to work against? No, uh, not really. I added grain. Really? At the end of it, yeah. And it was it's interesting because it's a na- it's natively that ISO, so it doesn't it really doesn't degrade. I mean, it's a even at 5000. 5000 because it's that's what the chips made for. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was like I mean, there's a, you know, occasionally cuz you if you're out there and you don't have lights and you're doing without lights, then something goes black and there might be a little noise in there, but it's nothing. I actually added grain to the whole thing, to the whole movie. Interesting. Nisha and I I've known Nisha f- from school. She was at, she was at NYU with me. Oh wow! And so, and sh- so we talked about it a long time ahead of time, uh, even before I got into involved in prep. And so I was able to go to the colorists uh, that I used light iron, and uh, oh, yeah. sat with them. Um, we got our cameras from Panavision and uh, used light iron to for the coloring and the post. And and um, I was able to sit with Corinne here in LA and sort of come up with an idea from some footage that Nisha and I had shot before about the idea of it, like the idea of like color in the shadows and blue in the shadows for certain areas because we wanted the the office to be very like cold and corporate yeah and to slowly develop a little bit of warmth over time and then we wanted uh and that's all done in post that's the, the no we did that lighting as well but okay it was, it was accentuated in post got it you know got that it. kind of thing 
So we um, and we wanted uh, Emma's house, to Catherine, she, this is her character, the house to be sort of warm and glowy, and very upscale and sophisticated. And we wanted um, the studio to be very neutral and crisp. Mm-hmm. So that was the those were the, the three ideas we went in with. So then we shot, um, and you know, I changed like we do the lighting accordingly. So I knew this area was gonna be warm and glowy, so we make it as warm and glowy as I could. And then uh, in post, we were able to accentuate that with by adding some grain and by um, taking the the cool tones out of the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to the office. We added some cool tones back into the shadows. I always, whenever I was doing the interior work, it was I treated the interior work in the office like an exterior shoot because I was used to using the windows for light mostly. Yeah, yeah. And so any kind of bounce light in there, I had uh, I would add color to it whichever way I wanted it to go. If I wanted it to go warm, I would add warmth on bounce and or cool. Sometimes I think the way that the world doesn't have the same color temperature everywhere, so you yeah, show yeah. to change from warm to cold as you go around and that kind of thing, and it gives a more real look to me. That's awesome. And uh, I mean, also uh, kind of winding up here, but sometimes people ask us about film school because obviously like in in this day and age, by the time you're old enough to go to college, if you had, you probably had access to a DSLR camera and some kind of editing software. But it sounds to me like you're, you would be an advocate for film school because you're still even working with people who you met. Oh yeah. And I think to me, that's, that was, the exposure was the most important thing to me. I, you know, I grew up in, uh, Georgia and Arkansas and went to school in West Virginia so I didn't have exposure to film sets yeah right so when I got to go to NYU that was the biggest thing I got opened up I mean Spike Lee was one of my professors so I mean, oh my god really yeah so I mean that's the kind what of what was he like as a professor it's freaking cool that's awesome <laughs> rolls in does his thing you know it's like great. it's pretty great yeah, oh man really great it was it was uh, yeah and he was very he was a directing professor he was very direct so yeah. he had an opinion, he had an opinion, and you heard it. And it was, uh, and that's, you know, and I think that's what we all went there for, you know. Film school, I think, is great for those things, for the relationships you have with people coming out. You, that's important, 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 because those are the people you hopefully will work with. If if half the students knew the power they had by working together on something, they could take over the world. <laughs> they really could. I mean, it, but we didn't, I don't think anybody knows at that point, because everybody's trying to push to their, trying yeah. to elevate themselves out of it. If you elevate together, then you can do more, and it's pretty. It's a it's a really great time to do that, you know, because you because the video video and film are so accessible. Yeah, now. yeah. So uh, and for me, I, I started working as an electrician right out of uh, while I was in school. My last year in grad school, yeah, I was working as a um, as an electrician on all these low budget movies, um, you know. So I would I would go I would work in the morning at the Fulton Fish Market pulling cable. And then go to class in the afternoon, and then come oh, back. Wow. And, you know, and so it was like I just, I loved being on set. So, you know, I did as much as I possibly could. And then, so then when I got out, I continued to work as an electrician, and I was, and uh, and then started gaffing more, um, including on Fish Belly including White, including Fish Belly White. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> fish Belly White. I'm sure if uh, Fish Belly White hadn't won, neither yeah. would I. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Somebody else, somebody no, else would have, so. somebody so, else would have gotten the prize. Then it would have been you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think to, I think the thing in film school though, always remember is like, um, you have a, you have your own voice. That's the reason you got there, and so to make sure to you learn that voice and and you know and study your craft and whether it's directing or writing or, or photography and mm-hmm. you know and and be able to take chances, be able to fail. Because once you get out in the real world, it's hard to fail and not ca- not get like slammed for it. Yeah, it dings you. Yeah, it dings you a little bit. So you know, it's like a 
and take that serious, you know, take those times seriously and have fun with it. You know, that's really a sort of a, I don't know, can you say that? Have fun with it and take it seriously. I think so. You you can. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. like, you know, work, work hard, but don't, uh, you know, don't stress yeah. too much. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I think everyone it, stresses I, out making their yeah, student films. Uh, no, it's so true. That's so true. But so yeah, I think it's, uh, to me, I would, my son's actually going to film school right now. Oh really? So Where's he's he going? going? He's going to Chapman. Oh nice. Screenwriter. I told him to get a residual check. <laughs> so you, can you can get a residual check for that. So. I, I always <laughs> think it's a scandal that DPs and pr and editors and production designers don't get it's, residuals. Yeah, we well we gave that up for uh, healthcare. At yeah, one but point, writers and actors and directors get yeah, healthcare. I know, I know. <laughs> believe me, believe me, I know. Yeah, a little like dig every once in a while when I'm on set. Uh, oh, there's my. Ch oh, I just no, think I it's a scandal. It's like <laughs> the, the, it's like all of those people are are crucial. Uh, yeah, it's true, and especially on a pilot where you make the you set a look for yeah um, you know for people down the road you know long way down the road so <laughs> so uh if people are looking for you online where can they uh, find you Do you have a portfolio online or oh yeah uh, matthew clark dp and uh, uh are you on the instagrams or the twitters or anything i'm not okay no, no you have many more hours in your day than the, i do right? yes exactly exactly i like i like looking at all that stuff but i just don't ever <laughs> jump in there i just don't jump in. I stay, probably stay smarter out. that way yeah <laughs> i go hiking and go up to my you know hang out with my dog <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on here yeah yeah thanks for having me So that was Matt Clark. Thank you so much for coming out, Matt. Matt, that, w that was great. Uh, definitely want to have you come back again. And everybody, in the sound of my voice, please go see Late Night, currently in theaters. That's right. Hey, uh, Ben, we got some fan mail. That never happens to me. Oh, it does happen, but uh, we got Only it. Only Blair Witch fans. I'll occasionally get some Blair Witch fans. We're getting Instagram direct messages. In fact, we got one from uh, Kushi Nuna, who is in India. Uh, who wrote us on Instagram saying, you guys are amazing. Well, there's a lot of G's at the end. Just binge listen to all 36 episodes what? with specials. Can't wait for oh, more. My God. You guys are the best teachers. Believe me, big heart. Uh, I really appreciate that. And also I apologize to anyone who has to listen to my voice for 36 episodes. <laughs> That's as close to being my wife as anyone will ever know. Uh, thank you so much for the awesome, awesome message on Instagram. Totally appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, we got another on Instagram though here just uh, the day before. Uh, just discovered your podcast and I can't get enough. As a growing cinematographer new to Los Angeles, it's nice to hear right from the mouths of these big time DPs. Perspective is so important, exclamation point. Thanks again. Keep up the amazing work. And that's from egwaldo.dp on Instagram. So Eric should come on by the uh, Hot he Rod Cameras. He should totally come by Hot Rod Cameras. Right. Yeah, he, say, he say hello. He's local. Walk on in, right? That's right. He can. He can, like, you know. He can walk on in and then you'll give him a t-shirt, right? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I will give him a t-shirt. All right. Come yeah. on by, Eric. Eric. Eric, you 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 heard us call you out now. You're you're local. Come on by. Let me know what size shirt uh, you wear, and uh, you're gonna get a shirt. That's sweet. That's very nice of you to offer. <laughs> you you forced my hand. It was gonna happen anyway, but but I'm glad you did. Charles Pappert will personally give you a t-shirt. <laughs> Charles Pappert will not personally give him a t-shirt. Uh, that's that's too bad. <laughs> Charles, I know you're listening, Charles. <laughs> It, it's funny because he's not listening. <laughs> he, he has stopped responding to uh, to all of your shout outs. All right. So, Ilya, let's go into short ends. And now, short ends. So, Ben, it's uh, short end time. It is. It is indeed short end time. 
Hey, uh, you got a short end? You want to? Uh... I, I do, and some sometimes I I don't even realize that I'm kind of f- uh, fascinated by something uh, until I really start to put my mind to it. Because again, uh, swear jar sound effect um, uh, with a baby. Uh, like I just don't get to do as much reading and watching and stuff as I as I used to. But one thing I do a lot is watch stuff on YouTube. Mm, and right. um, I stumbled across a YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. And Corridor Crew is uh, is a bunch of guys from a VFX company called Corridor Digital. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they basically, uh, they, they do episodes where they uh, analyze visual effects in movies. Uh, sometimes they'll do visual effects. Um one time they brought in uh, video co-pilots, uh, Andrew Kramer. Ooh, I, I know you have a huge man crush on I have Andrew Kramer. Ev- everybody who's ever learned After Effects from video co-pilot has a huge crush, man or woman crush, <laughs> on uh, Andrew Kramer. Um, but they, ha- they brought him in because they were doing some stuff about The Force Awakens, and he mm-hmm. did a bunch of VFX on The Force Awakens. And uh, uh, one of the more interesting ones uh, I saw was one, uh, and, and maybe this is even more of a spark for a deeper conversation, on deep fakes because they Ooh, yeah they brought in a tom cruise impersonator who has like the mannerisms and the voice totally but like a lot of impersonators doesn't look exactly like tom cruise like he looks enough like tom cruise that if you had him at your at an event playing tom cruise you'd go with it but he doesn't look exactly like tom cruise and then they did a deep fake on him and put tom cruise's face on him oh yeah and creepy it's yeah it's still a little uncanny valley the, the deep fake uh, technology but I like I always thought because I hadn't really looked into it because I don't I'm not that curious um, about deep fakes. I'm <laughs> You're just not, not that curious. In general. I'm not that curious. I'm, yeah. I'm set in my ways. I like my turkey burger at Astro and the rest <laughs> of the world can go fuck itself. But in all seriousness, <laughs> that is a joke for me and, and, and like nine other people who know you because anyone totally who's true. ever known me knows that we go to Astro. I get a turkey burger anyway. Uh, wait a second. Let, we just got to unpack this a little bit here for everyone else. so They can be in on the joke as well. Okay. Uh, I, I've known you 17 years, something like that. Probably yeah, now, they're about since 2000, uh, uh, 2002. I think twice we've had meals together in a restaurant where you did not order a turkey burger. That's like, yeah. But the other thing is like when I'm in the Silver Lake, Los Feliz, Atwater Village, Eagle Rock, any excuse you can, Echo Park you'll, drive, you'll drive out of your way to go I will, have that I will, I will often go to Astro, not Astro Burger, but Astro, which is on the corner of Glendale and Fletcher, and it's my favorite diner in the world, and I'll get a turkey burger. Thank you very much. I don't even know why I look at the menu when I go there, because that's what I'm getting. Anyway. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. We've now, lost three quarters of our listeners. Okay, well, now, now that now that that's done, I just think it's incredible that I got you to talk about food for that long, uh, even if it was your, your favorite food ever. So, okay, so so please please continue. So, anyway, I, I, I didn't really know uh, anything about the deepfake technology but watching uh, the quarter crew do this thing with uh, with Tom Cruise and this Tom Cruise impersonator who by the way was a pretty amazing Tom Cruise impersonator like I realized uh, and I'm sure everyone who knows anything for real about deepfakes knows that it's it, you're using a program and uh, movie stars are easy to do because there's all this footage of them and you're tons you're using artificial uh, intelligence and machine learning to figure out like everything about the way they look they're their teeth, their eyes, blah, blah, blah. And then you're mapping it onto somebody else, uh, somebody else's performance and adding it, in the... Uh, it's like the Obama video that, adding that, in that the, went around. The appropriate yeah. shadows and adding in all this stuff. But it was actually kind of weird to see like a guy who is a professional Tom Cruise impersonator has even met Tom Cruise suddenly having real Tom Cruise mapped onto his face 
the corridor guys are, are really smart and, and really clever. We've had them in the shop here. They did a presentation at Hot Rod. Uh, they're, they're, oh, they're, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're, we, we get around a little bit. So, yeah, the, oh. the corridor guys have been here. So it's uh, You should introduce me. Uh, it could happen. So. I, I'll, I'll, I'll fanboy out on them. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, ch- check out their, uh, their YouTube channel, Corridor Crew. There's a lot of – I've always found uh, discussions of VFX to be very interesting. In fact, our very first guest ever – on the podcast was Jason Wingrove, who was on the RC, which was uh, a podcast that was produced by FX Guide. And FX Guide also did the VFX show, and I learned like 80% of what I'd ever learned about visual effects just listening to VFX guys yammer about what they do. I, I find it fascinating. I don't know if anyone else does. Obviously, some other people do. Um, and I think the Corridor crew does a really interesting job in a similar way to how, um, uh, how, how the VFX show still does, frankly. Uh, in in kind of bringing it to life and showing you showing you like minor flaws or showing you like you know they'll find like one frame that went out in a finished movie in theaters where all the VFX were gone, like that stuff is uh it's always interesting. But I I've just been finding myself watching a lot of the videos on their channel. Anyway, what is your short end, Ilya? My short end this week is also another form of media. It's uh, Film and Digital Times. It is a magazine, a like website. A, pr- a print magazine? It, it is still a print magazine, yeah. It's a publication that's uh, essentially put on by, by well, I mean, I, I think he has a little bit of help, but basically uh, the editor-in-chief uh, founder is John Fower. And John Fower is a cinematographer in his own right, and he mm-hmm. made a, a fantastic movie years ago called Cinematographer Style. And uh, I first became aware of John Fowler because I have no idea what year it was now, but, but I found it probably in the early 90s. He wrote sort of the uh, official handbook for camera assistants out there for the Airy 435 camera. John is a very smart, very technical guy, and he's also been very flattering of, of Hot Rod over the years. He's, he's written some nice stuff about us, but nice. uh, he occupies, in my opinion, basically sort of the top slot of uh, technical free online publications uh, that are out there. I mean, if you were to look at the hierarchy, you might have like a Cinema 5D at the very, very bottom, like the, you know, maybe the least technical and uh, the most consumer oriented and, you know, sort of aiming towards, uh, you know, the, the aspiration. As a big fan of Cinema 5D, actually, uh, they chose a bad name. Because, like, you know, they chose a name that's, like, going to age out quickly. Cause it's the, already aged out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's long since aged yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, n- n- no uh, no offense towards the, no, the Canon not, 5D, but not, Cinema not, 5D started when that was, like, a new thing. And now we've moved on to, like, every other thing that could ever have existed. But they, they didn't really tend to move with it. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that, that if we're going to go through the hierarchy real quick here, I'll say Cinema 5D, then uh, probably No Film School. I think No Film School is a, is a, great. Is a notch up from them. I love them. And then uh, probably the, the next step up for like at least for uh, technical accuracy accuracies uh, called News Shooter. So NewsShooter.com. I Never also, heard of it. No, I'll check no, it okay. out. And then moving further, even further up is uh, Film and Digital Times. So uh, you can subscribe to Film and Digital Times. I think and have it sent to you. But they uh, often post stuff online. Yeah, I've seen their stuff blog, online. So. But I mean, like I, I feel like all the ones you mentioned, like they're all they're all useful. It's just I feel like you're going up a scale of technical wonkishness. Yeah, that's exactly what I just did. Okay, that's exactly what I, I just I, did. I, I thought you were going up a scale of quality. Yeah, I I, I equate one and the same. So I would oh. say that if you well. Uh, one of them you're going to have much less technically accurate information. One you're going to have way, way more technically vetted information. One of them you might just have someone stating opinion as fact, and the other one is actually fact. So yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm doing. Fair, but, but uh, okay. So 
Film and Digital Times uh, had a, a wonderful supplement that came out in April. And uh, there's a big, huge, um, it's a big, huge spread on Canon and talks about the history of Canon lenses. And inside of it, they actually take you through and explain the process of making lenses and the history of uh, cinema lenses mm-hmm. from Canon and takes you up to today. And uh, I found it all fascinating. And if you are interested in any of that sort of technical stuff, you're going to want to look at film and digital times. I will uh, make it a point because I know I've read some of their stuff, but I'll make it a point to. Uh, I will hand you one as you walk out the door. I've got them. I got some printed oh, ones in the camera. Cool. I can't wait to find that five years from now in my car and be like what the hell is this what is this thing that you gave me uh yeah, yeah. That's, that's no i'll the, totally read it i'll totally re- i promise you i'll read it <laughs> he's never gonna read it okay. i'll totally read it uh anyway so uh so ben i think that, that i think that pretty much wraps up our show where, where can people find you online uh you can find me at benrockonline.com and that's where you'll find my reels and uh, other exciting things and my links to social media are on there as well or you can go to Twitter at Neptune Salad. That's probably the easiest way to find me. Please feel free to go in there, say hi. Uh, you can find me at Hot Rod Cameras or on the Instagrams at Hot Rod Cameras. You can find me anywhere there is uh, Hot Rod Cameras, and uh, that's it. Hey, let's thank our incredible team. Uh, let's thank uh, producer Alana Cody, Woo! our editorial staff, uh, Ben and Abby. Woohoo! Uh, Kay's Alatrachi. I gave him a real hard time last week about not listening to the show. Maybe he'll do it and hear the sound of my voice. Jerk. <laughs> Uh, all right, Ben, I got I got nobody else to thank. All right, well, let's thank the audience. Thank you for Yay! tuning in. Oh, and actually, we should say, if you're still listening, please subscribe. Please like. Please write a review. Do one of those things. Yeah, if any of those things, they all help. They help people find the show. If you like our show, uh, tell uh, tell your friends in film schools around the world. Yeah, yeah. you want to support the show, you can also shop at our sponsors. You can support Hot Red Cameras. You can support Aerie. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you. We love you, listeners. Thank you very much. See you next time. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.